0: Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church, and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like Him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. Good morning, everybody. Everybody good? My name is Tim Harris, I'm the pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. I'm happy to welcome you today. Open your Bibles to Psalm 27. Psalm 27, I figure on the day before Halloween we should talk about fear. How about it? Let's talk about fear. Back in the old days they called them tightrope walkers or uh, uh, whatever, trapeze artists. I I think nowadays they're called uh, aerialists. Perhaps I'm like that aerial acrobat, something like that. Um, I want you to think about those trapeze artists. Uh, you know, these are the ones at the circus or circus du Soleil, wherever. Um, they are, you know, swinging from these bars, from these swings way up, you know, just defying gravity. And far above the heads of the people, they are uh, doing their acrobatic feats, uh, flying and catching and swinging from one bar to the other. Um, Uh, In in the trapeze show, they say there's a very, very special relationship between the catcher and the flyer. Uh, The catcher, of of course, has one very, very important job, and the job of the catcher is to catch people. Uh, Mostly, they swing back and forth from one bar, from one trapeze, and they are always there to snatch the others out of the air. And It's a beautiful part of the show. They're the catcher. The other uh, role is the flyer. Now, the flyer is the one, of course, who at just the right moment must turn loose, and that must be terrifying, but the the, the bar is the only thing that is keeping them in the air, and in that uh, uh, pre-rehearsed moment, the flyer has to let go, and, and then they arc their body out in the thin air, and they must wait to be caught. And at that moment, they have one job, and that is to be perfectly still. Now, can you even imagine what it must take to be hanging out in thin air, you know, arc, arc your body out and just, and just not move? But, but it's very important that they remain perfectly still. Now, I don't know how well y'all know me, but, but if I'm out there, like, I will try to swim. Like, I know I'm in the air, but you know what I mean? Like, I want to get caught really fast and if i can help you catch me i'm going to help you you know in any way i can so i and i would die but because understand the flyer cannot help the catcher you understand and you can't catch the catcher the only thing the flyer can do is remain perfectly still hanging out there in thin air and wait to be caught I'm just thinking that there are people in the sound of my voice today who feel like that, who feel like in this present moment of life, they have just been hanging out there in thin air, hoping they don't fall. You know what fear is like? Psalm 27 is our passage for today. This is a Psalm of David. It's just so good. It's just so good. Now, as I preach today, I I know some of you know this about me anyway, but if you don't know, I want you to know that at some point in in the middle of my life, I just became really um, uh, suddenly uh, struggling with anxiety. Uh, Never before had that ever happened, Uh, but since that point, anxiety is something that I wrestle with. Uh, My first panic attack happened when I was in the office here at church doing my job, so um, I just want you to know that as I speak today, I'm talking about something I've had to learn the hard way, and uh, I I think that the lessons, the truth I speak today are truths I fought hard to know, and uh, and if I can help you today, I want you to uh, receive the word of the Lord from Psalm 27. This is a psalm I've come to love. It's about fear. Psalm 27, verse one. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. and Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, Oh God, of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. Do not let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath, they threaten me with violence. Yet, I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently. There is um, one commandment most often repeated in the scriptures. There are many commandments in the scriptures. I know you know that. But there's one that keeps coming back over and over and over. It's the most often repeated commandment in all the Bible. What is it? Fear not. Yeah, fear not. Now, why do you think that that one commandment, we have to be told that over and over and over. Why do we need to hear that over and over and over? Fear not. Because we are so afraid. We're so afraid. No, we don't show it on the outside. I mean, we're not fraidy cats. Not I mean, Out in public, we put on a brave face. That's, that's what we call it. I recognize that I'm a man. I can't be afraid. I can't show fear, and I don't show fear. I'm pretty fearless walking around, you, you know. I recognize that I'm the husband, which means if an axe murderer shows up at our house at night, I gotta go die first. I'm prepared. I mean, we can send her out, you know, and actually Casey's much better. If, if, if you are an axe murderer come to our house and Casey comes out, she'll take you. Yeah. Casey is the one that, that would be, you know, I put my, my money on her in a fight, but at the same time, that's not how any of this works. So, so you know, I go first. I, I go out. I'm, I'm going to do the hard things. I'm the man. I'm the, I'm the dad. You know, so I recognize that I'm supposed to be brave. I'm supposed to step out there, and I will. I do. Around the church, I'm kind of the staff member that loves to scare other staff members. And I'm sorry, I just do. Cra- I, I, that's the funnest thing in the world for me. I, and now we have cameras all over the building. So I can go in Michelle's office and like see where Jason is and know exactly which hallway I can hide in, you know. And, and blah, you know I just love that. I love that. I've made Warren Weeks scream like a girl. You know, I have over and over and over, man. I love this, and I'm not bragging, but it is kind of my spiritual gift. I'm good at this. And nobody ever scares me. I am unscarable until y'all went and hired Ben Norrit. Ben's our tech guy. Ben walks around silently like Dracula. I mean, he doesn't make a sound. And Ben, like, if, I, if I'm going to scare you, I'm going to pick up a, like a, a place like a fair place, like out in the hallway, you know. Ben will come right into my office, you know, where I'm reading the Bible and praying. You know, and the other day I was, I was reading my Bible. I was all up into it. Ben came right up behind me. I mean, again, silently like a black cat. He came up right behind me, got right over my ear and said, oh, you know. I wasn't sure, but can, can I fire him like on a Tuesday do I have to wait for a family meeting where we fire them together? Or can I just fire him? I, no, He ain't going nowhere till I get him back. And I will. I, I, I will get him back. Um, there's something kind of fun about all that. You know, just something kind of fun about being afraid until, until it's not fun. And for some of us, we understand fear is not Fun. So let me just ask you, what, what are you so afraid of? I mean, the world is full of things to be afraid of, and I, I, don't, I don't mean to you know scare you now, but there's just a whole lot. There are so many things you can be afraid of. Let's just walk through. This is just a few of them, and all of these are real. Like, all of these are real. These are diagnoses. This is the kind of thing that you can actually be treated for, all right? First one, trypanophobia. What is that? Fear of needles, Who's got it? Fear of needles. Yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, me too. Uh, arg- Argasophobia is. Fear of work. Fear of work. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Majericophobia. Majericophobia. Some of you may have this and you don't even know it. Majericophobia is the fear of cooking. Fear of cooking. Yeah, no, no, but we know. Put it, Maria. Yeah. Scopophobia is fear of being stared at. What you looking at? You understand? Scopophobia. Pocrescophobia is the fear of gaining weight, also known as obesophobia. That's a real word, obesophobia, the fear of gaining weight. Uh, Palletophobia, fear of <laughs> bald men. Yeah. Yeah. Some of y'all scaring me to death. Fear of bald men right there. Okay. Y'all stop laughing now because colorophobia, this one's real. This one's mine. Um, Colorophobia is fear of clowns. Anybody else? Yeah. Clowns terrify me. Uh, A kid walking in church is mine. So where are you going to be for Halloween? He said, I'm going to be a scary clown. I'm thinking, kid, all clowns are scary. I mean, I am scared of clowns I am scared of Santa Claus. I am scared of anybody in a costume. I am afraid of big red. yeah seriously I'm, I'm not kidding I'm not kidding. It freaks me out. I don't, I don't like any 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 costume clowns ooh no uh, Cacophobia is fear of ugly people. Spexophobia happens to be my I, I've got several of these. I should have picked this list more carefully. Spexophobia is the fear of wasps. Anybody else? Yeah, yeah. I'm not scared of a whole lot. I guess I am. I'm not scared of a lot of things. And I know a wasp can't hurt me, but a wasp will make me hurt myself. You know? <laughs> Sphexophobia. All right, here we go. Ecclesiophobia is the fear of church. Fear of church. Uh, and if that weren't enough, homilophobia is the fear of sermons. Yeah, yeah I know, I know, I know. Uh, Scolianophobia is fear of school, fear of school, and this is real. Uh, Synzinisophobia is your fear of relatives. <laughs> yeah. Happy Thanksgiving, it's coming, it's coming. <laughs> Terontophobia is the fear of old people. Yeah, are some of these just funny? Like I said, fear of ugly people are like ha 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 ha. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, you know, y'all find out preachers are afraid of wash, pre- preachers afraid of clowns. And next Sunday, y'all think y'all gonna wear clown hair to church just just to <laughs> just to get up in me. Um, other people's fears are silly. You know it. Like other people's fears are, are funny to us, and, and the idea that somebody in the world could be afraid of cooking, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it sounds silly, but then understand there are just certain people that are afraid of fire. They're afraid that they may cook and, and burn the house down. There are people who are crippled by the idea that they could cook and make people sick, that people could get food poisoning from something that they cook. I mean, it's just one of those things that gets in your mind, and then sooner or later you, you find it difficult. To get past that terrible thought that something bad could happen. And, and that kind of anxiety can attach itself in, in nearly any place of your life. And that's why these phobias go on and on and, and, and on and, and on. How many of you like scary movies? Anybody? Yeah, I know not a whole lot of us. So those of us who love them, we can go and, and watch something cool. I like scary movies. Uh, when I was a kid, my mom worked nights. My dad uh, worked in the day, so my sister and I and dad would be together on the nights. And dad would always let us watch scary movies, so it's always kind of fun. My sister and I both still love scary movies. I love them. So a couple of months ago, th- 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 advertising on, the, on the, like, TV that this movie is the scariest movie that's been out in 50 years. That's what they said. They said this movie is so scary, people in the theaters are throwing up. And passing out. So I called Tracy and said, we got to go. <laughs> Me and my sister, y'all, I love my sister. So we're like, we're going. We're going. This is scariest movie in 50 years. I mean, I'm there for it, man. People throwing up. I can't wait for that. I am all about that. So I'm walking in the theater. I'm so excited, y'all. Like, I bought my ticket online, like, months. Like, like I am in this theater. Walking in with my sister. My wife, Casey, also went, but she went to the theater next door to watch Lassie come home or whatever they were playing over there, because Casey's a baby. So, Chase and I walk in, walking past this little teenage ticket taker, and I say, is it good? Is this movie good? He said, oh, yeah, it's good. I said, is this scary? He said, it's really scary. I said, it is? He said, yeah. I said, have you seen it? He said, I've seen it four times. It's terrifying. I said, oh, you know, oh, you know, I can't wait, man. I'm thinking, what if I throw up? You know, what if I pass out? I- I'm there for it. I can't wait. Okay. I'll just fast forward. This was the lamest movie I've ever seen in my, I mean, I, I wanted to throw up, but it had nothing to do with fear. It was terrible. And I don't usually, y'all know me, I'm a kind person. I wouldn't like yell at a teenager, but I went back to that teenage ticket taker and I said, why did you tell me that was scary? Like, what? why did you I mean, you know what I mean? That, that, the movie was junk. It wasn't scary. I didn't throw up pass out, you you know, because scary movies are fun. They're fun, and there's a scientific basis for that. It's called the excitation transfer principle. What happens is your body gets all worked up with fear, but then that fear passes, and that excitement is transferred over to that feeling of euphoria that comes next. So the scary movie makes it so that when you walk out, you feel amazing, It's so much fun. Don't you remember that feeling of going to a scary movie with your buddies and you come out and everything is just so awesome? It's called the excitation transfer principle. That's what was happening. The bottom line is we love the feeling of security when we know that we're not in danger. It's an amazing feeling just simply to know that, you know, Freddie, Jason, Michael, they may be out there somewhere, but I'm safe. It's an amazing feeling. We love the feeling of security when we know we're not in danger. But y'all, the world is different now. After the pandemic, we're not the same. People aren't the same. It, it, It did something to us. It did something to our children. Post-COVID, in our church, we have a second epidemic, a second pandemic, and it's a pandemic of anxiety. Our children are damaged by what's happened in the last couple of years. Our teenagers, more anxiety, more fear. When I talk about a fear of school, y'all, that's real. There are kids now who are just simply afraid of going to school. It's a real fear. And it's not just our kids. There are many of us now who have to wrestle with questions that we didn't ever wrestle with before. The basic question of, can I go out in public? Can I go to the grocery? Can I go to to my family reunion? Can I sit around a table with people that I like and not be afraid that somehow I may catch something that could be deathly for me? We're living with questions now that some of us never really had to ask before, and our children, our children are having to ask questions now that honestly they should never have to ask at their age. They say that when a natural disaster happens, like take for example the tornado that came through our city back last December, it was terrible, and, and hundreds of families in Bowling Green lost everything, they lost their home, they lost everything. But we're told that in those kind of moments, as devastating as that is, as tragic as those losses are, when it's a material loss, you lost your belongings, you lost your house even, people suffer that loss. I'm not making anything light of it. But we cope well with material losses. In other words, at some point, it just sort of kicks in for you that, you know, okay, we've lost everything, but we still have each other you know and, and it begins to sort of come back to you that all i lost was stuff and i will get more stuff you know so those material losses are not that difficult for us to cope with although they're hard it's not the hardest thing they say after that kind of tragedy after after that sort of loss what lingers and what is the deeper loss is that loss of a sense of security once you know that life can permit that kind of tragedy, once you know that the world actually includes viruses that you can't see and you can't keep from breathing in and it just might kill you, I mean, once you know that the world permits that kind of random, horrible danger, it is very, very difficult to recover a sense of security and that's where we are now. That's where we are. And that's where our children are and our teenagers. People are crippled now with a fear, crippled with a kind of anxiety, just asking these questions, is it even safe to go to school? Is it even worth it to go out in public? Now, I'm not about to wade into the politics or the division around COVID. I'm not. But I just want you to understand something. Those questions about fear, those questions about security, when you find yourself asking, is the world a safe place? Can I go out in public? All of these questions, they're actually spiritual questions, and you need to understand that at the very bottom of these questions are basically two simple questions. The first one is, can God be trusted? And then, is he really there to protect me I'm saying that COVID has left us with this spiritual loss. And some of us have lost our confidence that we can trust God, that God will protect us, that God will protect our children, that the world is a safe place because God holds the world in his hands. We've lost the confidence of our faith. And for that reason, I bring you back to Psalm 27. It's a Psalm of David. So you know something about him, and I hope you do. If you don't, let me tell you that when David says, when evil people come to devour me, all right, when my enemies and foes attack me, though a mighty army surrounds me, David's not just being poetic. These are moments out of his actual life. David was frequently surrounded by armies. In one long, terrible period of David's life, King Saul had the entire army of Israel trained against David. Everybody was seeking David. They hunted him day. They hunted him at night. They were looking for his life. And David lived his entire life for a long period of time on the run from enemies. So when David says, you know, do not let me fall into the hands of my enemies, I'm telling you, these are real prayers. And David knows something about real fear because David's life has been on the line many, 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 many times, more than yours, I would say. So when David talks about the confidence he finds in the Lord, I I think you should listen. And so David begins The Lord is my light. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? What's it mean to say the Lord is your light? I don't know if it's like the basic fear, but one of the fears that we all sort of share is just that basic fear of the dark. You know what I mean? At least as a child, you've got to get over that, that sense that you know, somehow when the lights go out, you know, you're in danger. And it's not true. But in the darkness, somehow we feel Vulnerable. I think all of our fear comes back to that desire that we have to be in control. I need to be in control. And when you turn out the lights, I'm not in control anymore. I can't see what's in front of me. I can't see what's behind me. I can't even imagine what's behind the door up there. Do I mean, you understand? We are somehow naturally afraid of the dark. So when David starts out by saying, the Lord is my light, what exactly is he saying? He's just saying, I have a source of light that has nothing to do with the darkness of this world. And I'm telling you, it is a dark world. And it's getting darker by the day. Plenty of things to be afraid about. And I'm telling you, I'm honest about that. But David starts out by saying something remarkable. The Lord is my light. Now, can I just remind you, if the Lord is your light... We're talking about a light that cannot be dimmed by any circumstance, by any danger, by any virus, by any threat on this earth. It's a light that cannot, cannot in any way be extinguished. So when David says, The Lord is my light, understand if the Lord is your light, you can't possibly walk in darkness. You can't be in darkness which means you're not vulnerable, which means you're not unprotected, always the Lord is your light, then you have his protection. The Lord is my light. Y'all watch those crime shows where like they come into the crime scene and, uh, and they're like CSI, they come in and turn out the lights and then they pull out that you know that UV light or that black light, you know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden they start shining a black light and what do they see? Crud. Like body fluid, all of a sudden. You couldn't see it with the lights on, but now in this black light, you can see DNA. You had no idea how much DNA you were floating in until all of a sudden, man, they turn out the other light, you know, it's like, you know. See all kinds of stuff in that light because the point is there are certain things only visible in certain light. You know what I mean? And so understand. Very important spiritual principle. All the most important things in life are visible only in the light of God. Do you follow that? All All the most important things in life are only visible in the light of God. So if you live your life on this earth and you do not have the Lord as your light then the only things you're going to see are the things that are visible in the light of your circumstances. Is it any wonder that you're anxious? If the only light that you have is the light of the world around you, then is it any wonder that you feel like your life is constantly in jeopardy because the world is such a wobbly place. The world is such a dark and dangerous place. But I'm telling you, if you live your life with God as your light, you're going to see things differently. You're going to see a sense of security. You're going to see protection. You're going to see a world that, oh, it is dark and it is wobbly, but it is still held in the hands of a God who is sovereign over all of it. All the most important things in life are visible only, only in the light of God. So David says, it's one thing one thing I asked for. As a kid, did you ever, you know, play that game in your head where, like, if I ever find a magic lamp with a genie, remember, did you ever play that? We're like, you know, you rub the lamp and the genie pops out and what's a genie say? Three wishes. Three wishes. Now, honestly, when I was young, I thought that was going to be more common in life than it actually is. <laughs> so I had prepared myself. And so did you. I prepared myself in in that moment when I rub a magic lamp, the genie pops out and says, three wishes. I already knew what my first wish was going to be, and it's going to be more wishes. Yeah, yeah. Did you also think that was going to happen more often in life than it actually does? Um, More wishes, because I got lots of things. I got lots of things I'm wishing for. Lots of things to want. David says, one thing I'm asking for. Now, add fear to that. Add fear to that. Let's pretend you're David and there's an army surrounding you. That's a real moment out of his life, multiple times. But if, if in that moment you got an army surrounding you and you got one thing to ask for, like one wish, what's your wish going to be? I'd like to get rid of that army surrounding me remove my threat, remove my enemies, remove the danger from my life. I mean, honestly, that's what fear does. Fear just gives you a one-track mind, and you're focused on the enemy. You're focused on the danger. And so if you give me one thing to ask for, it's going to be about the danger. Please get rid of the danger. Remove my enemies. Remove the threat. David's different. In in the midst of all this, one thing I ask for, just one thing. One thing, I only want to be in his presence. If I could just be in his presence, if I could just be in his house day and night, every single minute for the rest of my life. If I could just be in his presence and if I could just find a place to sit and look at his face. If I could just sit and behold his perfection. David has this magnificent obsession, and it's not his enemies. It's not his enemies. I mean, notice what he says. Verse 4, though a mighty army surrounds me, okay, even though, like, like that's the part that gets me. Even though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked, I remain, I mean, even though, even if, what in the world is David talking about? I mean, like, these are the fears, these are the things that you worry about, and you say, oh my goodness, you know, even even if, even though my heart won't be afraid, you have to understand, confidence comes not from circumstances, but from drawing near to God. David is able to say, you know, even if there's an army, there's still one thing I'm seeking, there's one thing I'm looking for, I just want to be in the presence of the Lord, I want to be gazing upon his face, I want to be thinking about his perfection. Understand the power of that? The greatest aerialist ever was a man named Carl Walinda. Heard his name? The Walinda family is a famous tightrope family for decades, for years and years. And Carl Walinda was the patriarch of that great family. He was walking tightropes from the time he was a boy, he was fearless. Throughout his life, he broke world records. I think he, to this day, holds the world record for the longest tightrope walk. He walked a tightrope, a single skinny rope, stretched tight across the Tallulah Falls Gorge in Georgia. He walked in front of thousands of people, you know, uh, defying gravity, amazing above everybody's heads. Carl Walenda was fearless in these things. Carl Walenda could ride a bike. He could ride a bike right down a tightrope, you know, between two hotels in Vegas. I mean, he could do any of that fearlessly. It's amazing. But then they say that um, at some point, and it was later in his life, but at some point, Carl Walenda began to think about something he never even thought about before, but it got in his head. And they say that Carl Walenda started just to think about what if I fall? Now, he had never thought that. Riding a bike on a tightrope, I mean, he would get his whole family, you know, and and they would build a pyramid and walk across one tightrope together. I mean, this man was amazing, never afraid, defying gravity, amazing audiences, but it got in his head. I I could fall, and what if I fall? Finally, uh, I think Carl Walenda was 73, 78, something like that. Carl Walinda was walking between two hotels, a tightrope stretched between two hotels in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Carl Walinda set out across, and uh, he got about halfway. This was on live television, an audience of thousands. Carl Walinda stepped on the rope about halfway, and he uh, started wobbling like this. He would never done that, but he started wobbling like this, and then his foot slipped and then he went down for a split second, he tried to hold the rope, but then he just fell to his death. He landed on a parked taxi cab in San Juan, Puerto Rico. The whole world watched him die and the whole world said, what happened? Carvelinda's wife is the one who said it. She just said that Carl became so obsessed with that idea that he could fall, that even Before he would walk the rope, and even during the rope, he he was constantly thinking about, how do I keep from falling? How do I keep from falling? And she said he thought so much about falling that he forgot how to put his energy into walking. I'm telling you that just in case anybody ever mentions to you what they call the Walinda factor. Sometimes in counseling, they'll use that phrase to describe a person, a frame of mind, the, the Welinda factor. The Welinda factor is when a person becomes obsessed with uh, just asking these terrible what-ifs. And it takes over. Just your, your brain can't stop rehearsing all the horrible things that might happen. It's this Carl Welinda, who suddenly thinks more about falling than he thinks about walking and 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 some of you, this is your life. You you just have this terrible habit of of just concentrating on these awful what-ifs, you know? What if I lose my job? What if if this not turns out to be cancer? What if it is cancer and there's no treatment for the cancer? What if if I die? What, What will my children do? What if something happens to my children? What if something happens to my grandchildren? And on and on and on we go, rehearsing the absolute worst thing that could possibly happen. Do you understand how fear wrecks your life? Do you understand that David describes the the remedy, the antidote to that? I mean, if you're going to be obsessed, David says, maybe you choose another obsession. And for David, it was just just this one magnificent obsession. And that's just simply one thing. He says, one thing, I I am going to focus on the presence of God. I, I want to look up on his face and I want to think about his perfection. Even if there's an army of enemies around me, even if the whole world is turned against me, even if the, the unthinkable happens. I mean, notice how many times he says, even though a mighty army surrounds me, even if I am attacked. I mean, that, that's what we're afraid of, right? I mean, that's the very thing that, that we're thinking. What if? But David says, even if. Even if, even if all of these terrible things happen, my heart will not be afraid. Do you understand? Your your confidence doesn't come from circumstances. You look around, there will always be something to be afraid of. There will always be some terrible thing that you can't control, some outcome that you can't predict. And I'm telling you, that will tie you up in knots if you let it. Your security will never come from circumstances. It comes from drawing near to God. He is your light. He is your salvation. He is your fortress. Teach me how to live, O Lord, he says. Lead me along the right path. My enemies are waiting for me. Don't let me fall. Don't let me fall into their hands. And I'm confident. Verse 13, I'm confident that I will see the Lord's goodness. I love that confidence, right? I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. But verse 14, uh, let's wrap it up here. I I understand that by bringing up verse 14, I'm going to ruin all this for some of you. Because that word, the first word in verse 14 is wait. Yeah. Fear doesn't wait well. You ever been that kid, like, in, in your bedroom at night, and it's dark, and the booger man is under the bed, and you're going, Mama! You know, you just scream out, Mama! Like, do you want your mama to go through the kitchen, get herself a cup of coffee, you know, check herself in the minute? No, you, you get your gown tail in here now, you, you know, now. Hell, it's 911 emergency. This is how fear operates. There's no waiting. Fear doesn't wait. Fear says now, do something now. You've got to do something now. And that's why fear is so deadly in your spiritual life, because it will always cause you to step off in the wrong direction. That, that, that's why the word here is Wait. Wait, fear does not wait well. Some of you have been in the situation where the doctor tells you, oh my goodness, the scan is awful. It's awful. I'm worried about you. We better get right on it. The- we need to take care of it. That needs to come out of you. I want you to make another appointment. Talk to my secretary on the way out. You make another appointment because this is, this is important. And you walk by the secretary and say, I, I, I need an appointment. It's awful. It's bad. It's worse than, than I thought. And what's the secretary tell you? Well, his next opening is in March of 2024. <laughs> Would you like a card for that? It's not a joke, y'all. Yeah, have you been in that situation? They tell you, like, yeah, you, you may be dying. We need to get right on this. I will see you. I'm going to be on vacation next week, and I'll come back in, and we'll take care of it. How about December. don't tell me December don't tell me to wait fear doesn't wait well but you want to what waiting is something that faith does very well I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm in the land of the living wait patiently for the Lord do you understand if you can't wait you may not see his goodness Faith is in the waiting. Fear doesn't wait very well, but faith, faith now faith will wait. They say that uh, with one of those trapeze shows, that there's a very special relationship between the flyer and the catcher. The catcher has one job, and that is just simply to be there, to, to be on the bar and to uh, you know pluck the flyers out of the air. The flyers, though. They have to be willing to let go of the only rod, the only bar, the trapeze. It's the only thing holding them in the air. They have to to know how to let go of that. And then they have to arc their body out in thin air. They have to just stretch out there in nothingness. And they have one job, and that is to be perfectly still. If they try to catch the catcher, they will surely die. If they try to move, if they try to somehow speed this up, no, 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 no. The flyer just simply has to stretch out in thin air, be perfectly still, and wait to be caught. The catcher will come and snatch them out of the air, but they have to wait. I know that some of you today are uh, stretched out in thin air. I know that some of you are so afraid right now of so many things, afraid of falling. I just want to remind you that the Lord is your light, He's your salvation. There is nothing for you to fear. He is your fortress. Even if, even if. The army surrounds you, even if the enemy comes, even if the news is bad, even if, even though you do not have to be afraid, you will see the goodness of God, but you may have to wait, so wait, just wait for him, he will not let you fall.